Well, I love the message of that song, to live a life of passion, to live a life of intensity. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had a day where you realize, I just wasted this whole day, or a week, or a month, or a season of your life, and you look back and you think, wow, I just blew that off, and I could have done this, or that could have counted for something bigger than what it did. That's what we're going to talk about uh, a little bit today as we wrap up this series uh, called Insanity, with this idea of living a life of intensity of intensity. Um, you know, we got so many ways to communicate, and it, it wasn't always that way, at least in, in my lifetime. Now, I'm really going to date myself and just tell you how old school I am, but when I was uh, a kid, we had a telephone. It, it hung on the kitchen wall. It was one of those big square plastic ones, and the cool thing about our phone is that it was a party line. Now, some of you have never heard of that. You don't know what that is, but that meant that all, several of us shared, I don't, I don't know how many it was, maybe five or ten families shared this line. So what you could do is you could hold the part of the receiver down and lift up the, what, what do you call that, the handset part, you know, the way you're talking to, and then real carefully lift it up, and you could hear um, Billy Ray Tomlinson's mother talking. You could hear, you know, Miss Lois Gar. I mean, you could hear all these people talking, and, and they would say, is somebody on the line? And you'd real gently close it down and hang it back up. But that was, my grandparents didn't, their neighborhood, they lived in a, a, more of a rural area in West Tennessee, and they didn't even have, everybody had a phone. It's like several neighbors would go to one person, oh, you need to call somebody. Oh, we got to go over to Mr. Lovin's house, you know, because he's got the phone uh, in this area. And, and I'm, I'm young, you know, I'm, I'm a young guy. So isn't that amazing that the change um, that we have seen take place. There's so many ways to communicate now, and you can do that just written ways. I mean, a lot of you have got a Facebook, you're on Twitter, you've got voicemail, you've got, uh, you know, email. I mean, there's so many options that we have for trying to get in touch with each other. I remember particularly when voicemail first became the thing. I don't know, you don't have to be that old, right, to remember when your parents got their first answer machine and you set it up. And nobody, it was like the Beverly Hillbillies, you think, let's talk into it, and, you know, and, and we all did the same thing, and then you would call somewhere, and you would get their machine, their, and, and you felt it was almost rude, they expect me to talk to a machine, I'm not going to leave a message, and, or, if you're like me, you would freeze up, uh, this is Dan, I want to leave a message for, whoop, you know, oh, man. And it's there, right? Once you leave the message, have you ever left a message and then realized, that's not what I wanted to say or I'm wrong? And you can't, you can't get it back. And what's weird to me is that it's so, you know, doing this for, what, 20 years, you've had an, an answering machine on your phone, on your home phone, but we all feel it necessary to tell people what to do when they get your machine. Hi, you've probably never reached an answering machine before. This is Dan. I'm not answering your call in real life. Leave a message and I'll come. We, we just, we, we'd spell it out. Oh, I didn't know what to do unless you told me. Leave a message and I'll call you back. Uh, you know, we, we're still kind of in transition. And one of the coolest things, I think, is Twitter because it forces you to express your thoughts, kind of like voicemail. You've got to get it right because it's there and you've only got 140 characters or less. And that's it. 
So you kind of got to figure out ways. I want to say this, but I need 200 characters. You know, I need a little more space. It says, no, sorry, you only get this. So you figure, you learn. I got to abbreviate words. I don't need to say that. That just, you know, and you start chopping stuff off until you just get down to the heart of what it is, the thought you want to express, and you, and you get it out there. That's the whole concept of it. It can be frustrating, but it's also kind of liberating for you to be able to think, okay, I've got this one thought, and I can do it. I can get it in to this format if I have to, because that's the important message. This letter that we've been looking at is kind of like this process of Paul, and it was the most up-to-date, the highest-tech way he had of communicating with his young friend, Timothy. And this last chapter that we're going to look at today, I think of it uh, as like Paul's last tweet. You know, he only had so much space. His time was very limited. His time had actually run out, and and he had just enough space. I've got to say this one thing. Timothy, if I can only just say one thing. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that if you only have this one moment, and you've got to tell somebody something, you've only got... You know, a post-it note. You've only got a tweet. You've only got this little space in a voicemail. You think, I've got, to, I've got to get this idea out. That's where Paul is. What we're going to read today is sort of Paul's last hurrah. It's his last chance before signing off to give Timothy just what he needs to live this life that Paul knows he'll have to live in his absence. Paul knows and he's, he's like, I was so looking forward to the return of Christ, but I'm not going to make it. I'm kind of resigned myself to the fact that I'm not going to see that. I'm, I'm, I'm about to, to go. So how can I tell Timothy, it's such a crazy world, and it's just a place of insanity. How can I lead him to contentment and peace and sanity in the middle of all the chaos? How can I tell Timothy to be victorious, uh, to... Uh, to get this right, to be successful in his personal ministry. What is the most important thing uh, Paul wants Timothy to remember? Timothy, out of everything I've ever written, because this is the very last thing Paul will ever write. A couple of weeks after he wrote this letter, Paul was executed, and he knew it was coming. And you just kind of feel that, right? You just feel the emotion as, as, as Paul is writing, as he's dictating this to someone. He says, I, I, can, I can hear them marching outside. I know they're coming for me. I've only got time to tell you this last thing. And he was killed soon after. Very last thing Paul ever wrote. If you knew something that you were going to say today or write today would be the very last thing that you could communicate, wouldn't you put some thought into it? You know, I remember seeing my, my dad. I've, I've been with a lot of people because of what I do, their last moments here on earth. And it's been interesting to me the, uh, the anxiety some people have, the peace that some people have. I've been with my mother-in-law and with my mom, with my dad, and with, with others as, as they slipped out of one world and, and into the next. Paul is almost at that moment. And it's almost as if he's saying, okay, Timothy, everything that you've read, everything I've ever said, everything I've ever written, everything that we've studied so far kind of reaches its crescendo in this chapter. So let's read it and see what he said. 
It's chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, and I'm going to read the first eight verses. There are scriptures after that, but most of the word after that is Paul saying, Oh, tell this guy, hey, and oh, look out for these folks. They are really not what they seem to be. He just kind of gives this P.S. uh, about some things before he wraps up. But here's the heart of what he wants to say. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, be serious about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all of those who love his appearing. This scripture is Paul's goodbye. And this verse, uh, this first verse of, of this section has this formal charge that Paul gives to Timothy. Paul gathers up all of his authority as as Timothy's spiritual father and all of his rank as this apostolic figure in the the early church, and he he puts all that weight to bear at the very beginning of this chapter. And to me, when I'm trying to get into the moment, when I read scripture and I read a story or a letter, I try to think, what was it like? What was going on? What, What was he really trying to communicate? And one of the best places I thought of that gives life to this atmosphere of what he was feeling is is the context of a wedding. Now, I've done a lot of weddings, and I've done many of them standing right in this spot. And there always comes this moment where I will say, Do you, groom, take this bride? And do you, will you promise, do you? And then there's just this second Sometimes hesitation, usually not, uh, where the bride and the groom will say, I do. And we're all there as witnesses to that. And it has this, uh, this feeling of importance about it. It's not the same as when you see somebody in the hall or out on the street or in a restaurant or the mall and you go, hey, will you, yeah, yeah, I will, I do, I will. There's something, in, you, you realize, I'm saying something big. And to seal the deal, when it's done, I fill out all the paperwork to send over to the Knox County clerk if I'm here in this county or somewhere else. And there's always a a space in there, a line, for a witness to fill out. And it's typically the best man or the father of the groom or somebody, you know, that's kind of close. And, and we, have, we don't do it like a little ceremony and we save the pen like you would a presidential signing of a... <clears throat> For instance, a debt deal or something like that. But uh, <clears throat> in some ways, it has its similarities. But, um, <laughs> but you sign this, 
You, you sign this thing, and, and it's done. But there's always a witness. You always got to have somebody. I need, I need a witness. I need somebody to witness this. Who would, you, who would you like for that to be? Paul, that's kind of the idea. This word translated solemnly charge. I solemnly charge you. It's used in moments like that. That's exactly what it means. It commands people in matters of, of extraordinary importance. And it, and it brings an attention. And, and Paul, it's kind of like, hey, Timothy, trying to get your attention. Stop. Be, be still. Listen. Read this part carefully. This is important. I'm serious. It has, it has that atmosphere about it. And we get even a, a bigger sense about it when we see who Paul gathers around or who he claims uh, there as the witness of this charge. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that kind of raises the bar, right? My son went to a wedding this weekend that the governor performed. I thought, that's kind of cool, you know? That, that, you know and, and you think, oh, well, who does Paul gather? Or, you know, he says, uh, the witness to this is Jesus. Timothy's like, okay, <laughs> that sounds like a big deal. Not only is Jesus mentioned by name, but his second coming is used as a reference point. That's the basis of these commands to come. Oh, wow, that just, you know, you think, okay, that's kind of big. Because this charge has this tone. It's both hopeful, uh, but it has a warning with it. Hope because we can look forward to the return of Jesus. And I think Paul's feeling was, you know, it looks like I'm not going to see it. They're coming for me. I'm not going to see that. I so wanted to see the return of Jesus. Always thought I would. Looks like I'm not, but you will. He knew it was coming. He knew that this was the next reality and the establishment of Christ's kingdom on earth. And with that is linked this warning. Because on that day, we will be held accountable. Accountable for how we lived our lives. Our public life, our private life. Our open life, and our secret life. We will be held accountable. I will be, you will be, this church will be. The church will be held and be, have to give an account of itself to God. Now there is there, you know, now therefore no condemnation in Christ, so it doesn't bring with it a sense of condemnation, and I, I don't completely understand this krena, this judgment that we face, but it's coming. Every church, every pastor, every teacher, every volunteer, uh, every leader, every member, this accountability. And that's why I think some of these things flow naturally out of the next uh, sentences that he chooses carefully to say. In the second verse, the Bible points out that God uses churches who are committed to communicating the whole Bible. And we need to communicate Scripture as persistently, as specifically prophetically, expectantly, patiently, intelligently as we can. This is what we're about. This is our anchor. Other things come and go. Music and style and architecture and all of these things throughout history has changed. The Word is where we stay. And that's why, and I don't want to sound, you know, uh, I don't know, sanctimonious or like I'm preaching to the choir or anything like that, but you know what? That's what we're about. That's what we've always been about. And I, you know, I come, I go. Another guy will come and he will go, but the word stays. That's our hope. 
That's our reference point. That's the truth for us. And that's why we make such a big deal out of it. And that's why in, in whether it's worship, like we're doing right now, in a Bible study, in a community group, in cafe, whenever, wherever we are, we open up the Word of God, we will preach and teach the entire Bible. I've gone to liberal schools and I've gone to conservative schools. I've gone to schools where the professor actually, you know, th took his thumbs and, and went through about this much of it. And he said, this much is just Jewish legend and stories. You don't really need to pay attention to, to that. It's not true. It's just, and I thought, you mean I could just take this and tear this out? And I was so confused. I was a young believer. I'd, I'd known the Lord for about six months or a year. And, and you know, I thought, uh, what? A, God, is there nothing? And I remember a place uh, on the campus of Union University where I got my undergraduate degree. And, and I, I remember going to a specific place and, and just saying, Lord, I don't know. I'm so confused. This professor says this all true. And this other one says, oh, don't worry about this part. And, and oh, this, we're not sure. That's already happened. And, and, and I thought, so what, is this my Bible? And even that, I, you know, I can kind of take or not. And I remember hearing that, uh, that Billy Graham had done something similar, and I thought, well, it worked for him. He seems to have had a moderate amount of success. And, and I, I just I, I put my Bible on this little bench where I was, and I, just, I put my hands on it, and I said, Lord, I may be making a fool of myself. None of this may be true. It may be, just like some of my friends think. It's just another book. But I'm going to choose to believe this book, to put all my faith and my hope in this, and God, by your grace, I'm going to live my life according to what's written in these pages. It's just a done deal. I didn't have a revelation. Heaven didn't roll back and the sun began to shine through the clouds. It wasn't anything like that. It was just this quiet affirmation. Lord, I'm going to live, I'm going to be, if I get everything else wrong in life, I'm going to live by this. And if I get to heaven one day and you say, oh, Dan, you didn't have to be so legalistic. Oh, my goodness, I was just uh, kidding around. You know, or it's, uh, you know, I just, you know, I just... I would rather make that mistake and go, oh, my goodness, you mean, I, you know, I would rather do that than for God to say, why didn't you take this seriously? And that's what he's telling Timothy, and I think that's what he's telling us in this moment. Take this seriously. Now, how can you tell? Well, here, here's one thing I can tell about churches. Okay, because that's, that's my bubble. That's where I live and move around and operate. I kind of I get that a little bit. Uh, churches that will be honest with you about yourself, about your morality, your values, uh, your lifestyle. Be careful. And I don't know, you may be a guest today, and you're going to go home to a great church or maybe a not-so-great church. Um, refuse to be intimately involved with a fellowship that will only cater to people's selfishness. The third and fourth verse, Paul points out and observes that there's a time coming. He said, there's a time coming when people just don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to live by the Bible. That is so antiquated. That is, are you kidding me? That's so old-fashioned and, oh, you know, really, Dan, it's not relevant anymore and we've, We've kind of got a no, it, it, it is, but he said there's coming a time when people won't want to do that. They won't want sound doctrine. And what that refers to is accurate teaching about God that promotes spiritual health and growth. Sometimes 
It's fun. Sometimes it's amazing or exciting. And sometimes it's, it's what we hammer through. But it all goes in. You know, and some people, he said, will surround themselves with teachers who just tell them what they want to hear. Uh, my version says uh, the word uh, itch, you know, that people with kind of itchy ears, you know. And some versions will say other things and express it in different ways. All throughout history, people have used religion to justify indulging themselves in selfish ways. Does the preaching in your church, does the teaching in your church ever confront your selfishness? If it doesn't, if you're comfortable there, Bible study after Bible study, worship service, Sunday after Sunday, you never feel challenged, you never feel offended, you're never just a little, little upset with the pastor or the teacher because they're getting in your face, they're pushing you, they're in your space. You're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong class. The Bible's confrontational at moments. The thing is, that's not the intent. Particularly, you know, in modern America, I think the word preach has taken on a negative idea, right? I mean, I have caught myself saying, hey, hey, I'm not preaching at you. I think, yeah, I am. <laughs> That's actually what I am doing. Uh, you know, but we, we have people to say that. Hey, I'm not, I'm not t-, you know, because we, we get this feeling like that's talking down your nose to somebody and I'm holier than thou. And the word translate, preach, actually means to proclaim, to just say it. Just Somebody's got to say it. Hey, could you announce that? That's really what a, what a preacher is. A teacher explains the truth. The, the preacher, it, it, he proclaims that. I always think of it, remember the medieval movies and the guys in the dresses and the knickers, you know, they would come marching out and they've got these long skinny trumpets and they go, you know, it was kind of like that. And then they unroll the scroll and they go, hear ye, hear ye, the king, da, 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 da. And they make an announcement and they roll it back up, and that's it. That's, you know, that's the idea. It's a proclamation. And you don't, you know, you don't think, well, the guy who just made that is standing in judgment of me. And nobody likes to be judged. Eric, don't judge me. You're judging. You know, and we, we're real quick. We've become a very sensitive culture. We've become almost hypersensitive, I think, to being judged. And nobody has that right. We, we don't feel like we have, you can't even disagree, you know, because you'll, you'll, you'll feel that. The announcer... The, the guy who's making this proclamation is not standing in judgment. He's making sure everybody understands what the king wants. Everybody get this? Okay, I'm going to the next village. That's what it means to preach the word. The word tickled in, in your version, maybe, is better translated scratched. And it's this image of, of somebody reacting to an itch just by scratching it. Probably, and I kind of thought about this when I was getting ready. I thought, while I'm preaching, I'm just going to sit and just going to watch and see how many of you scratch when I get to this place. When all of a sudden you think, okay, there goes Fessler. Yeah, uh, everybody's going to go, man, why did he say that? It's just this power of suggestion. And now you know I'm watching. You think, I'm not going to, when he's looking, when he looks away, I'm going to scratch real quick. You know, there's something you think, okay, all of a sudden I just want to scratch something, you know. And, okay, that's kind of what, what happens to us emotionally and spiritually. 
We're confronted with our sin. We're confronted with difficult life situations. Daily, we, we feel bombarded. And isn't it true that the momentum speeds up? I mean, my life has not, I mean, it didn't start off like in, at 30 miles an hour and just stayed that way through my whole life. No, I feel like, you know, I'm on a ride at some amusement park, and we're just flying down. I think, Lord, how come my life is going so fast? And in the midst of that, we'll think, you know what? I've got this itch, and, and I need to scratch it, but I don't like God's Word. I don't like some of the things it says. It's as if Paul were writing this to us today, because I really think this is where we live. And how many people will react to hearing a biblical message by trying to find an expert who disagrees? I've had people say, well, Pastor, uh, what do you think about this? I go, well, I don't know. You know, it's not important what I think. Here's what the Bible says. I don't know that I agree with that. Okay. You know, well, I have another opinion. Fine. It's your opinion, and here's, you know, you can Google that all day long, and you will find, you will always find another view. And I think that's one of the things about our culture, that we can get information so quickly, you will find somebody who agrees with you. And isn't this true with your friends? Maybe you're in a relationship, or you've got this going on, or that going on, and so you, you go to one friend, and go, no, I don't think you ought to do that. I think you ought to do this. Well, thanks for your advice, but I'm not going to... And you just keep talking to people until you find one of those friends who goes, I believe everything you believe, and I agree with you 100%. You're right. You're such a good friend. <laughs> you know? And we tend to be drawn toward that. And that's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. And he's telling us, don't go find two or three people who agree with you. Don't, don't get online and, and try to feel if there's some, something else out there. He says, you, you, you know, you can ignore the word. And, and once you scratch your ears and you're, you're happy, doesn't mean you've arrived at truth. In the fifth verse, Paul commands Timothy, he says, do the work of an evangelist. Isn't that funny? Because he sent him into this broken church situation. There was this dysfunction. There's a church split going on. And if you've lived through one of those, you know how just agonizing that can be. And he, and he sends this young Timothy into this situation. And he says, oh, by the way, while you're there trying to repair things and to bring healing and life back to this church, uh, I think what you ought to do, do the work of an evangelist. Evangelist? I thought you wanted me to. Yeah, evangelism. He said, that's, that's the big thing. That means to proclaim the good news of Christ to people. And it's easy for churches in the midst of their life, I think, to lose the vision for outreach. We want to be a church that thinks more and more, and we're concerned more and more, and we design our ministries more and more about others than we do ourselves. It's more about outsiders than it is insiders. That's why we do Operation Contact. That's why we do a lot of the things we do, because at our heart is that we are willing to shift our focus from ourselves. We're willing to give up some of our personal preferences, lest we enter that dangerous place where we start to look and feel like some kind of religious club parked on Kingston Pike. And then we cease to become a New Testament church. So our heartbeat is always others, others, others. Always reaching out. And to help people not just begin well, because that's, that's only the first half of this news. Paul says, Do an, be an evangelist, preach the good news, 
It's not just getting people in that front door. You know, it's not just like, oh, we, we want you in, and then once you're there. No, he wants people to finish well. And it's at this point in the Scripture, in verse 6 to 8, that Paul kind of shifts from talking about Timothy to talking about himself. Paul's a little reflective. I mean, he knows his time is, he's just days away from the end of his life. Paul says, fought a good fight, didn't I? Fought a good fight. When I was in middle school, I fought uh, in Whitehaven, Mississippi for the sheriff's department. I was a, a boxer. I was so amazing. The only problem is, is I came up to about here on all of my opponents. You're going to get it now. You know, I, mean, I was just, I was just hard because my weight class was the same and all these guys are always taller. I'll never forget one Saturday, and I think I've shared this with somebody, this guy I was fighting. He looked, he was just like, if, if you've seen Captain America, you know, the first version of the guy, he's just like this big around and he's just like that. That was me, okay? And I'm, I'm just like, oh, you know, and the gloves are, it just looked like a cartoon character. But this guy is so skinny. He's so little, but he's so tall. And I'm thinking, tall don't mean nothing, you know. And, I'm gonna, and my coach is pumping me up. So I get out there, and there's some girls sitting on the front right by the ring. And I'm flirting with them. And I'm like, hey, baby, you know. And I'm doing that kind of thing, not paying attention. This guy, long story short, just beats me to a pulp. I mean, the day, that is the time. And I, I know I've, I've shared this. I don't want to be redundant. One of those guys who tells the same stories. But... Um, that was the day I got home, and my mother was ironing, and she looked up when I came through the screen door of our house, and she just began to cry. And she said, oh, baby. <laughs> and I thought, I must not look so good. And I went into the bathroom, and, looked, and my face is all swollen. But it wasn't like, you fought the good fight. Now, my dad loved me. My dad, he's like, and my boy. You got whooped, didn't you? You got, you got, I can't say what he said, but he said, you got beat up pretty good. Yeah, I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm proud. Come on, come in here and get a beer, son. What are you, 13? Yeah, come on. I miss my dad. I love my dad. Um, it's a, a man and woman's different. It's just a whole different view of life, you know, from that. Paul is saying, by any terms, there's days I didn't do so good. There's days they had to sneak me out of town. I have been beaten to within an inch of my life, and I haven't gotten everything done. You know, and I, and I thought I was going to see Jesus, and I'm, I want to see Rome, one for Christ, and you know, all these things. He said, but at the end of the day, I fought a good fight, didn't I? You've been through a lot of stuff. You've made some mistakes. You've had some failures. There's some rounds that you lost. There's days you feel so beat up. And you're not sure, can your life be salvaged? Can you make a difference? Can you be a part of a generation? Can you be a person? You think, I've, I've gone through. And by the time God called me to ministry, I thought, Lord, are you kidding me? You and I know everything I've done, where I've been, and all of that. I don't think, I think I'm too used. I think I'm done. I don't have anything. And I can remember when I first got past that and said, God, if you can redeem this life and you, whatever's usable, whatever you want, you can have, whatever's left over. And, and began to, you know, I, I can remember friends and people coming up going, How do, I remember one of my relatives coming and saying, are you serious? We know who you are. We know what you've done. You're kidding? You're going to the ministry? 
Paul had lived a life. I mean, he was famous. He was like the, the Gestapo. He was the Nazi uh, against the Christian church of that era. He hunted down Christians, stood by and watched them murdered. God calls him into ministry. And Paul says, in, in, spite, in, in light of everything, ever since that moment, you, God, you know I've tried to walk with you and I've tried to lead other people into a, a relationship with you. Fought a good fight. Fought my best. I want you to be able to say that. I want everybody who reads this and who hears, hears this to know, I fought a good fight. I fought a good fight. And he says, because of that, and I finished the race, you know, I, I made it all the way through. I've kept my faith. There were times, I did, but I kept my faith. He said, now I anticipate this reward from God for a job well done. That's not bragging. That's not you know, I, I don't pick up a... Do you pick up your paycheck every week and go, that's right, I got paid because I'm so good. No, because you're... No, they just pay. You know, Paul wasn't, you know, he wasn't being boastful. He just said, yeah, I'm going to get paid. It's payday. He was ready to step into the new life. And he said, I'm, I'm going to get a reward because I've lived a faithful life and everybody who does so will receive rewards. And I think it's beautiful because so many people start off strong but they lose their enthusiasm. They lose their intensity. When I was called to the ministry, so were three other of my friends. You know, uh, I started off in a, um, in a Greek class. Some of you, I've noticed, I've seen your tweets, and you're just like, oh, you got summer Greek out of the way. We called it baby Greek. It's just real intensive, but you, you, get, you get a lot of it done. There were, there were 42 of us that started off in that class, 18 of us who finished. There are people sitting in this room, you're not going to finish well. And if you stay on the path that you're on, if you maintain your attitude, and if you keep up the secret behaviors that you've got going on, you're not going to finish well. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you. Because I want you to know. I've got to tell you the whole thing. If I just tell you the good parts, and you walk out going, oh, I love this church, they never challenge my selfishness, then I'm not, I'm not, I shouldn't be up here. Neither should anybody else. If you keep going, you're not going to finish well. And that's the point. It's never, well, I started off good, didn't I? Yeah, you don't get anything for that. <laughs> you don't get anything for starting. What you, what you get the reward for is finishing. Paul can't help Timothy stay on the straight and narrow anymore. He goes, Timothy, I've, uh, you know, it's time for you to stand on your own two feet. I'm not going to be here to minister to you. It's just you and Jesus. He says, because the time of my departure has come. And I love this word. You know I like etymology. I love, I love the study of words. And This word, it's time for my departure. It carries the image of a ship setting sail. Or soldiers breaking up camp because it's ready to, ready to move on. We went to the lake a couple of weeks ago, and you know you load all your gear in. You know you put the food and the ice and, you, do, you know, the towels. You put everything in the boat and, you, you know, you got, everybody, you got all the life vests. You got everything you need, the skis or wakeboard, whatever it is. And the last thing you do, what's the last thing you do? You untie, right, from the dock. You untie the ropes, throw them over, you push off. Paul says, I've done, I've done everything. I've done everything I know to do. All that's left. He says, Timothy, I'm writing this real quickly because... They're untying the ropes as I speak. We're about to shove off the end. 
it's time. It's time for me to go. My departure is at hand. And Paul says, when, when that happens, I will receive a crown. Now, sometimes we think about crowns, we think about the big gold with spikes, you know, like in the movies of the king or, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an image, like Lord of the Rings or something like those kind of crowns. That's not exactly the word here. The word that he's using here is, is Stephanos. Stephanos. It's the word that we get the name Stephen from. Great name. Um, Stephen. It, it, what it was... It's, 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 Stephanos was the wreath given to the victor of the games. It wasn't the big gold crown. It was like woven branches, you know, put together. And it was more symbolic than it was of value. You know, it wasn't the value of the crown itself. It was what it meant. Sort of like receiving the Medal of Honor. You know, it's like, how much is this worth? Well, I don't know, maybe four bucks or just, I don't know what it's worth. But symbolically, it's worth so much more. It speaks about the value of a person. It speaks about their accomplishments and what they've done. This would be given to a public official who had done his duties faithfully and well, had not fallen into corruption, had served people, had done well. They would give him this wreath, this crown. To the runner of a marathon race who crossed the line first, he would be given, and they would do this publicly in front of everybody so they could see Here's your reward. It was a big deal. It's a, it, this crown is a reward. It gave public recognition of faithfulness and how someone had benefited a community. And probably here, Paul has in mind this idea. He says, a crown of righteousness is what my version said. That little word of could also be for. A crown. What's the crown for? Why did you get that crown? For righteousness. You got a crown. Righteousness. In other words, because Paul had been faithful, he lived his life with the end in mind. And he receives this victor's wreath. And the last thing Paul says is, I kept the faith. Kept is this term, it's got the idea of guarding or keeping custody of something. It's the word that we use now if there is a situation where children are involved, perhaps in a divorce, who gets custody? It's this same word. Paul says, I've, I've kept in custody in my care our faith. I've kept it. I've guarded it. It's, you know, you've got something valuable. Here, keep this for me. Here, would you, would you hide this away? Paul says, I've kept the faith. I've guarded this truth with my life, the truth of Scripture. And I've been faithful to the tasks that God has given me. Okay, I've got to ask you this as we wrap up today in this series. Will you finish well? If you continue on the path you're on, doing what you do, living like you live, publicly, privately, openly, secretly, will you finish well? Will you finish well? Will we as a church finish well? Paul is ready. He says, my departure is here. We're shoving off. I fought a good fight, kept the faith. I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you ready?
Will you be ready? Let's pray about that. If you don't feel like you are, today would be a wonderful day uh, just to reaffirm your faith and say, God, you know my heart, you know where I've been, you know all my stuff uh, today. I, I, I want to make this a, a time and a point in my history. I'm going to get this right. I want to keep the faith. It was so important. He charged Timothy with this very last thing, very last thing he ever wrote. Would you stand with me? Lord, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for our fellowship. Lord, would you help us to be the kind of church that you like to use? Would you help us to finish well? Not to give in to the insanity that we live in and we see around us every day. Not to fall victim to the chaos of the world uh, that we've become accustomed to. But even if it means standing out, using your word as our reference point and as our guide, Father, we step into the reality of who you are. And Lord, we know that next week this room will be filled with a lot of new folks. Everybody's getting off vacations and returning back to schools. And Lord, we've got a lot of new students coming into the university. We want to be the kind of church that helps people start well and finish well. We are accountable to you for this ministry that you've given us. And Father, we step into that with our eyes open. Help us now to live for you individually and as your fellowship for your glory in Jesus' name.